midday on the Rural Radio Network. A significant day with some report numbers that everyone has been waiting for, looking for, figuring out how it fits and where we fit into it. And that's all going to be coming up in just a moment with all the commentary with Dewey and his guests as we get on through this morning. On midday, it's Susan Littlefield, who is, uh, I understand we need to put in a, uh, a bid for a warm-up for Susan. Is that correct? Just a little bit. I'm not asking for a lot, but okay. <laughs> just a little bit, because I've had so many producers tell me they're spending a big chunk of their day breaking ice, Yeah, and they would like a warm-up so the stock tanks could thaw out a little bit. Yeah, a warm-up on the rocks, as they say. <laughs> there we go. Perfect. All right. Okay, and but you say you have seen some evidence that spring will inevitably get here. You know, it's funny. This morning I got a picture from a producer that was sitting at the stoplight in Columbus, and one of the local stores had pallets of potting soil sitting out front. Yeah, well, that's, so, a, that's a sure sign. That's what he said. He goes, I know spring is coming. <laughs> yep. All right, well, it's a, not a good day for geraniums yet, but it certainly will be at some point soon. Tell us what you have coming up from the Ag Department on Midday. Well, we're going to have, of course, Al Dutcher. It is a Friday, which means we get a weather update for him. The question is, is there a warm-up in store for us? Then coming up, speaking of warm-ups, everybody starts thinking about spring planting and coming up at 1245. John McNamara is going to join us. He and a, a group of folks are the National Corn Growers Association. One of the yield contest winners on the state level took second place in the nation. He's going to talk about some great yields that they got in their competition and ways that you can do as well. And then finally at 117, we're just continuing this whole crop thing, dicamba. Producers that are attending their pesticide training are getting Dicamba updates, and Chabella Guzman will bring us up to date on what's been happening. All right. We'll look forward to it, and I know that'll be listened to with interest. Thank you, Susan. Appreciate it. Thank you. Jason Jargensen is in with sports. You say we're down a big man. Huh? Yeah, the Huskers, uh, they play Penn State tonight on the road. They're without seven-foot sophomore center Jordy Shimaga. Oh, Apparently he and uh, Coach Miles had words this week, and uh, Shimaga was left at home. His future with the program is up in the air. Uh, he should promise last year. In my opinion, he's regressed a little bit this season, but he was coming off his best game of the year, arguably, against Wisconsin on Tuesday. And it's odd this all broke because I was going down the road the other day and I'm thinking, you know, things are going pretty well for the Husker men. Mm-hmm. But one thing we've learned over the years with Husker basketball is when things start to maybe head in the right direction... <laughs> Can always go 180 degrees. So we'll see how the Huskers fare tonight with that big Jordy in the middle. Okay. Also coming up in sports, we will hear from former Husker Aaron Taylor. Of course, he got the call this week telling him that he is headed to the College Football Hall of Fame. That is quite the uh, honor for him. We'll get his thoughts on that. And it's a big day for baseball, as a number of guys could be headed in different directions as they sign those free agent deals. All right, we'll listen for it. Thank you very much, Jason. And Bob Brogan has the business. Banks and retailers are leading stock gains, uh, something that is kind of uh, punching uh, the markets is Facebook dropped 4% after saying it will make changes that will result in users seeing fewer posts from brands. Also, Retail Trade Group, uh, the na- nation's largest retail trade group, says holiday sales were up 5.5%, so that's kind of putting a spark into things today. Everybody was looking for that. Looks like they may have got it. This is Midday on the Rural Radio Network.
Time to check into some ag weather. We're getting a little more widespread snowfall than maybe we thought we would at this time. Yeah, a pretty good band of light snow moving through the region. And just looking at the webcam towards Ainsworth, they're getting a good dose of some light snow right now. Uh, So, But otherwise, it's fairly light across much of the region, but a good cover of snow as you head towards Ainsworth, a band of snow currently in central Nebraska. And this weather, of course, brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your Ranky dealer. It looks as though we're really in the deep freeze here, except for maybe a little bit of a warm-up in the week, huh? in the yes. weekend. Yeah, some hope on the way for the tilling in the weekend, and then the long-term looking pretty good for our temperatures and uh, getting things back to a little more mild level across the area. Right now, most of that light snow in central Nebraska, currently from Ainsworth down to Broken Bow. Right along I-80, you've got some light snow from about Gothenburg on over to the Kearney area. Then that snow extends southward from Kearney and Lexington down towards Phillipsburg and just to the east of Plainville to around uh, Woodston and Natoma, Kansas. Maybe just a few scattered flurries south of Lexington towards about the Cambridge area. Another band of some light snow from about North Platte Imperial on into the northwest corner of Kansas and northeast Colorado towards Ray and Burlington, Colorado. This area of light snow continuing to move off towards the east, but like Dirk mentioned, temperatures right now definitely in the deep freeze. A lot of these temperatures, thanks to the cloud cover being held down today into the single digits, we're still at two above right now at Grand Ellen. Three on the actual temperature in the Ord area. A little bit warmer, though, as you head towards the southwest, where temperatures are into the upper 20s, or upper teens to low 20s in northwest Kansas and northeast Colorado. That light snow today with the continued cold temperature is going to last. A quick-moving area of low pressure moving through. And Alberta Clipper, quick-moving area of low pressure out of Alberta, Canada, continues to track southeast today. Snow impacts going to be on the low side with this system. Most locations only looking at accumulations of an inch or less, but it may be a little bit different story as you head towards Ainsworth, where they're getting a good dose and a covering of some snow. A reinforcing shot of cold air arrives for tonight, thanks to high pressure pushing in over the Dakotas that will at least uh, put an end to the precipitation. That wind and cold tonight off that area of high pressure going to make it feel like it's in the teens below zero. South wind starts to kick in tomorrow afternoon on into Sunday as that area of high pressure tracks towards the southeast. Going to warm the temperatures up for the weekend, just slightly for tomorrow, but back up near seasonal levels on Sunday. Just as we warm up, though, another strong blast of cold air moves through. A Sunday night, a strong Arctic cold front dives south. Light snow likely for Sunday night, along with some north winds that will gust up to near 25. That cold air will linger with that front on into Tuesday, but milder Pacific air arrives in the mid to late week thanks to a high-pressure ridge that pushes east. That shows in our long-term forecast, and it looks like it's going to stick around for a while. Likelihood, Nebraska and Kansas temperatures will be warmer than normal Wednesday through January 25th. The potential for mainly weak systems will keep Nebraska and Kansas in the potential of slightly above-normal precipitation Wednesday through the 25th. Your weather factors in the market include thunderstorms for the end of the week in many Argentina crop areas and a promising rain chance in southern Brazil. Thunderstorms that formed in southern Argentina last night will continue working north to key crop areas. By late tomorrow, most of the primary corn and soybean areas will see moderate or heavy thunderstorms in Argentina. That will somewhat ease concerns after a hot week. Rain in central Brazil will remain consistent to benefit soil moisture for crops 
In southern Brazil, a promising round of thunderstorms through the weekend. If this happens, that will maintain their prospects for uh, current yields. Here in the U.S., colder weather this weekend in the southern plains does not look to be threatening to the winter wheat. The cold wave in the Midwest after some freezing rain and snow the last few days does not appear also to be threatening for the Midwest, Midwest wheat. Ag weather brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation. They are your ranky dealer. Of course, visit them for all of those needs. Talk about Alberta Clipper. Yeah. Quick moving area of low pressure. Alberta, Canada originates. I didn't, I didn't know that because I, I dated Alberta Clipper for a while. And <laughs> just a lovely girl. Is she the reason you have your hair cut the way you do? Huh? Probably <laughs> is. <yeah. laughs> Don't even start. Okay. This is what they call headphone hair. I hear you on that. Give me my comb. And when you need weather at any time, krvn.com. USDA crop reports independent grain companies pushing for change on the new tax plan, and it looks like the Big Apple is fully embracing biodiesel. That's all ahead on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Clay Patton. The USDA reports released earlier today threw some commodities for a curve, especially wheat. Mike Zuzalo of Global Commodity Analytics shares what happened. I think the big deal here is we had about 1.3 million more winter wheat acres come out. 32.6 is what USDA gave us here a little bit ago. The USDA number versus trade estimates, about 1.3 million acres bigger. That means to the trade, in my opinion, that you don't have to worry as much about the crop and what's going on with the conditions or with what's going on with the drought monitor because you have a bigger acreage base and you spread out the weather a little bit more. And that's why I think the hard red wheat especially, because it saw the lion's share of the gains of, of acres uh, increase coming in at 23.1. It immediately fell. It continues to be down. Mike also pointing out that corn's ending stocks looked quite well. The ending stocks number about 40 million bushels versus last month. I think the trade was really ready for a 2.5 carryover or more. So on the U.S. side of the equation, I think corn got the best report. The reports also showed that corn yields in Nebraska were three bushels per acre higher from 2016 at 181 bushels per acre. Overall production in Nebraska was about 16 million bushels behind 2016. Dow Jones reports that the trade groups and agriculture cooperative associations are working with Senate Ag officials on a solution to the new cooperative tax deduction. The talk started after independent grain producers, food processors, and feedlots realized they may see increased input costs due to producers marketing more of their grains through cooperatives. The head of both the National Council of Farmer Cooperatives and the National Grain Council say they're working intensively on a fix that preserves the deductions for ag producers who sell commodities through cooperatives, but also addresses the unforeseen impacts that it would have on independent grain companies. Washington insiders suspect if the groups can come together on a common fix to the problem, that it will be attached to the omnibus spending bill that will be proposed in the next several weeks. In an urge to slow the change to the new tax law, all 16 Democrats on the House Ways and Means Committee sent a dear colleague letter that members should not be in a hurry to roll out bills aimed at adjusting the new tax law. Instead, they advised a more deliberate thought process to the change. USDA Undersecretary for Marketing and Regulatory Programs, Greg Ibaugh, also commented on the situation. The aim of the Tax Cut and Jobs Act was to spur economic growth across the entire American economy, including the agricultural sector. While the goal was to preserve benefits in Section 199A for cooperatives and their patrons, the unintended consequences of the current language disadvantages the independent operators in the same industry. 
The federal tax code should not pick winners and losers in the marketplace. We applaud Congress for acknowledging and moving to correct the disparity, and our expectation is that a solution is forthcoming. USDA stands ready to assist in any way necessary. While the political chess game continues in Washington, D.C. on the renewable fuel standards, New York City is showing that they want more soybean biodiesel. In 2017, New York City used a record amount of biodiesel blended fuel to keep the nation's largest municipal vehicle fleet moving. Executive Director of the Nebraska Soybean Board says the growth of the bioheat and biodiesel use in New York is good for Nebraska producers living more than a thousand miles away. Agriculture. The only industry where one person's hard work can help the lives of millions living in the city. Keep a straight row. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. It's time again this week to visit with Nebraska Extension Agricultural Climatologist Al Dutcher. I'm Shaley Peters on the Rural Radio Network. And now looking back on this last week, kind of all over the place, seeing warm temperatures early on and then seeing that snowstorm, which thankfully wasn't as bad as they were initially saying it was going to be, but seeing that midweek into yesterday. So what can we expect looking at this weekend and next week? Well, we're going to go through some some cool days here the next couple of days as we definitely are still locked into this polar complex. But we do have a wave that is going to be working its way toward the southeast. Presently, the one wave coming over the state right now is generating some light precipitation across portions of south-central central Nebraska. And we'll probably see some of that flurry activity continue and slowly diminish from west to east as we progress through the day. I think the biggest accumulation is most likely going to be in central and south-central Nebraska. And I don't... I think we're going to be dealing with more than one or two inches at the outmost. Most other areas are probably just going to see a light dusting. Then we see another piece of energy uh, trying to come through the state Saturday night into Sunday morning. Once again, same type of scenario. The eastern half of the state may actually see some light flurry activity or some light snow accumulations, but that's actually going to draw some warm air into the region for Sunday. And we should see a fairly decent rebound depending on where you are in the state. The uh, western part of the state may see the cold front come through a little bit earlier than the eastern part of the state, so uh, we may see temperatures not quite make it to freezing up in the northwest part of the state, but closer to the Kansas border, we may be approaching the freezing mark or slightly above, and then as we get into Sunday afternoon, that wave starts to, the cold part of the equation starts to move through the state, and it is showing signs of generating some precipitation in the eastern half of the state. It's not going to be a very wide area of precipitation, so it could vary a little bit over the next couple of days about where it hits, but that one should probably draw another inch or two inches of snowfall in the heaviest portions of the equation, and then we'll see the cold air once again holding until at least Wednesday before a rather strong system in the western United States starts pushing on shore, and that's going to lead to some abrupt warming, but once again, as we get into next weekend, that system quickly moves across the central Rockies. We're probably going to start to see it pulling some cold air into our region. As is this time of the year, anything that comes out of the western United States, basically to the central Rockies or the southern Rockies, and then exits into the plains, has the potential to generate some accumulating snowfall. But I think the big news is, is the cold air will remain locked into place for the better part of this period across the eastern United States. So this recent warming spell that lost a lot of snowpack and has shown some signs of ice reduction in the Great Lakes looks to be reinforced over this next seven-day period. Uh, by basically what I'm seeing from the models looks like this active pattern is going to continue into the foreseeable future. So we're going to rotate back and forth between very warm and very cold temperatures 
So hopefully this will be beneficial to the Colorado snowpack and points to the south. Uh, the latest snowpack estimates that came out from the reports I got this morning, it looks like some of the worst snowpack conditions in Colorado at this time of the year in the last 30 years. And if everybody's heard me speak on occasion at, across the state, one of the things I pay particular attention to is that snowpack. So we want to see some recovery in that snowpack, and we really need to see a significant turnaround during the last half of the winter for us to feel comfortable that that area will not melt out quickly and encourage the development of high pressure that would spread into the plains and, of course, bring drier conditions and warmer conditions that regress through the growing season. All right, thanks so much, Nebraska Extension Agricultural Climatologist Al Dutcher. For more, you can visit RuralRadio.com. I'm Shaley Peters, and you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. You're listening to the Midday Program on the Rural Radio Network. And it's time to check sports with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Dirk. Well, the Huskers will be missing a big piece in the middle tonight as they take on Penn State. Sophomore center Jordy Shimaga did not make the trip, and his future with the program is in doubt. Now, no final decision on a potential transfer has been made yet. Nebraska's coaches will meet with him and his family when they get back to Lincoln to discuss the situation. Shimonga has struggled this year for the Huskers, but had one of his best games of the season on Tuesday, Nebraska's win over Wisconsin. Tip-off is set for 6 o'clock Central tonight as the Huskers take on the Nittany Lions. Nebraska great and 1997 Outland Trophy winner Aaron Taylor is one of 13 individuals to comprise this year's class for the College Football Hall of Fame. The 13 inductees were announced this week, and Taylor says this was quite the honor. You, know, you, you, always, you always have something you want to achieve, right? You always have goals that you want to want to work towards. And, and for me, this was this wasn't even on my radar. You know, I, I was just trying to uh, I was just trying to do my best to be Will Shields and and. Uh, and, and Dave Remington, and, and you know, I, I don't think I quite got there in my mind, but, man, I, I tell you what, I'm sure sure proud to be uh, mentioned in the same conversation as those two guys. Taylor was a guest last night on Sports Nightly and the Husker Sports Network. He was among the group of players selected from the national ballot that included 75 All-Americans. Here's kind of an interesting move. The Bears have hired former Oregon coach Mark Helfrich as our offensive coordinator. He led Oregon to a 37-16 and record in four seasons as head coach. That included a run to the first college football playoff championship game at the end of the 2014 season with Heisman Trophy winner Marcus Mariota at quarterback. He was fired on the heels of a 4-8 and finish in 2016. Helfrich didn't call plays as Oregon's offensive coordinator, and he won't in Chicago. New coach Matt Nagy plans to handle that. The hot corner figures to be sizzling today when players and teams swap proposed salaries and arbitration. Toronto's Josh Donaldson, Baltimore's Manny Machado, and the Cubs' Chris Bryant were among the more than 170 players to head to the exchange, but most are likely to reach agreement today. Machado and Donaldson can become free agents after the season and are expected to command one-year deals approaching or exceeding $20 million. That's all the good sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. Tonight's forecast, a chance of light snow early on in parts of eastern and central Nebraska, otherwise mostly cloudy, lows ranging from 5 degrees below zero to 5 degrees above. I'm Dave Schroeder. 
University of Nebraska officials fear new budget cuts proposed by the governor would make it tough for the system to remain affordable and still meet state economic needs. Governor Pete Ricketts wants to cut the university system's state appropriation by 2%, a total of $11.4 million for the remainder of this fiscal year. He also proposed cutting $23 million for the next two years. University officials say the cuts could result in program elimination, fewer teachers, and higher tuition. System President Hank Bounds said the university would be swallowing one-third of the statewide total once cuts to state agencies and programs are computed, although state support for the university makes up 13% of the total state budget. Bounds says university leaders will be discussing options soon. Nebraska officials launched a campaign on sex trafficking awareness yesterday. Nebraska Assistant Attorney General Glenn Park says they want would-be traffickers to know that it will not be tolerated. He says the Nebraska legislature enacted a law last year that gives prosecutors two more tools in the toolbox. First, it increases penalties for sex trafficking to a felony category that has a minimum sentence of 20 years in prison. So if you are convicted of human trafficking of a minor, you're going to spend at least, uh, you're going to be sentenced to at least 20 years. The second thing they, tool they gave us was they added the word solicit to the crime, which means that not only sellers, the people who profit off this and, and find the victims and force them to do this, but the people who buy it, the people who are funding this industry, the buyers are now also eligible to be prosecuted as traffickers. So if you intentionally purchase an underage person for sex, you could be prosecuted as a sex trafficker and with a minimum penalty of 20 years. The demand and end campaign will involve posters and a public service announcement aimed at bringing awareness that trafficking will not be tolerated in the state. The Eddyville Volunteer Fire Department is hosting a pancake feed this Sunday, January 14th. Kirk Bruno says will be held from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. in the Eddyville Community Hall. All the proceeds collected through our free will offering go towards updated equipment, protective gear, and will help pay for our uh, fire school for our trainees this, uh, this spring uh, out in Grand Island. We're offering eggs, pancakes, sausage, coffee, and juice for all that come out, and it should be a good time. The Pancake Feed is the only fundraiser the Eddyville Volunteer Fire Department hosts each year. Put our app on your phone and listen to podcasts and on-demand audio on your schedule. From the KRVN News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. Can you imagine looking at a field and wondering what it's going to bring this growing season? Well, we're going to have the opportunity to find out a little detail, a little insight into one producer's mind who does that every single year when he's planning his plot for the yield contest. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. John McNamara is joining us via the phone line, of course, works for Wiles Brothers Incorporated. Let's talk about this field because you guys get to have a little bit of fun. And I know there are a lot of producers out there, John, that do the same thing. They take a little plot, and it's going to be their baby for the yield contest every year. And congratulations, because you won again for the state, took second in the nation. What's your recipe for success? Because you've done this more than once. Well, you know, raising high-yield corn is kind of like giving, you know, six ladies a recipe to bake a pie for the county fair contest. And they all follow the same thing, but there's, one of them that wins and you know it is truly a recipe that changes but it remains the same a little bit uh from year to year there are some fundamental things that we try to achieve every year 
Um, but it also is a little bit dependent upon the weather conditions that every year presents. So there's some fundamental things, but we also change them along the way. So you have a basic plan that's in place that you maybe are starting about this time of year, looking at oh, these abso- fields? Absolutely. There, you know, we, um, you know, genetic selection with some of the DeKalb hybrids out there, some of the things that they offer with Z-Shield and some of the quick roots materials, those are kind of essential in our recipe. Um, you know, plant populations and, you know, things that, you know, our forefathers, my father would never dream of from a dry land population standpoint. You know, those are kind of set in stone based upon uh, what some of those genetics offer. Um, breeders today are looking at hybrids that do well in heavier populations, more of a, an erect canopy, if you will. So a thicker population is essential. Stand establishment is essential. Um, you know, the use of fungicides in furrow with starters um, at VT we found to be quite beneficial as far as achieving some of those higher yields. Kind of walk us through because once the seed has been selected, you've kind of got your game plan ready to go and you've gotten in the field and it's in the ground. How much care, thoughts do you put into those first couple of weeks before seed emergence? And then after the seed emerges to hopefully establish what will be a, a state or national winner. Really, once uh, the crop emerges, um, you know, the, the race is on to get it basically to black layer. So from those standpoints of I like to look at these pieces every seven to ten days to see kind of what's going on, if we have any incidents of diseases that we need to address, uh, if there's any tissue samples that we can run some analytical labs on to look at what we could could be applying from a nutritional standpoint uh, as we pursue towards uh, the reproductive phases of development. Um, You know, I like to have my fertility levels kind of in place, but also kind of spoon-feed it, and that's where Mother Nature comes into this recipe. Um, In the dryland environments that were entered in on the contest, uh, timely rainfall is key, And, and we were blessed with that again in 2017 in that a lot of our post-emergent fertility applications went on right ahead of, you know, three to five days ahead of a rainfall that incorporated it and made a plan available. So, you know, when you look at these yield levels and you think, dry land, how did they do that? Well, it's all about timing. and It's all about kind of knowing what the plant's looking for at the, state, at the right stage of development. We've got to toot uh, the horn a little bit here because you're talking 351.2 bushels per acre in a no-till, strip-till, non-irrigated category. So that says a lot because that's some decent numbers, and like you mentioned, yeah. in, in a non-irrigated yeah. field. Exactly, and, and if you look at the balance of the corn that's grown in Nebraska, well, well past 75% of it's irrigated. So... You look at these things, and some of these guys that have been irrigated for a long, long time think, wow, how'd they do that? Um, and, you know, there is a point of positioning as far as where that field exa- uh, is, what the water table is. And in this case, the water table is very shallow in this plot where we do this. Um, and then the timely rainfall. So, you know, 351 bushels dry land is almost unheard of. Uh, but it can be achieved just with the right type of in- ingredients in this recipe. So as you guys work in these individual plots and you decide and you've got everything kind of figured out for the year, how much of that information year-end do you glean and put into the recipes of your average field that you've got out there that you're growing crops in? 
Well, we're uh, uh, many things. I mean, so we look for high phosphorus levels. Um, you know, we are strong proponents of starter fertilizer because uh, I'm a firm believer that earlier planted corn is better. Hybrids are better at handling cooler soil temperatures, but you also need starter fertilizers in there to uh, kind of put in the root zone immobile nutrition that the plant's needing to get established and established evenly. Um, so, again, on this level of playing field, geez, if you're losing one or two plants uh, per thousandth of an acre, yeah, you're kind of out of the game from, the, from growing over 300 bushel if you do that consistently. They'll receive their reward next month at Commodity Classic. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Dewey Nelson back on the Rural Radio Network. Joe Teal at Great Plains Commodities Unavailable today. Well, feeder cattle led the gains in the cattle complex. The steady moved higher, helped to increase trade interest, which continued to help support the entire complex, and more focus now expected to develop early next week. Although buyer interest may be sluggish through early next week, likely some concerns surrounding the lack of support in live cattle markets. However, there was some additional buying late in the session in live cattle. Cash cattle business was done for the week, mostly Monday and Tuesday, but the f- deals were a dollar lower on a live basis, three dollars lower on a dress trade than last week. Farmers and meat packers produced a record 99.7 billion pounds of red meat and poultry this past year, said USDA, on track for an even bigger slaughter this year. Tyson Foods, Sanderson Farms, and other meat companies building new plants expected to push U.S. meat production 3.8% higher in 2018. That would be the biggest increase in more than 20 years. Dean Meyer, who farms near Rock Rapids, Iowa, we have a world that has a growing middle class that's demanding protein. He built a new hog barn and cattle feedlot to grow his sales to nearby slaughterhouses run by JBS, Tyson, and others. He said, we think... That's a great opportunity. The U.S. beef cattle herd has expanded by 12% over the past four years. Now, you look at this week's slaughter estimate through Saturday on cattle, 611,000. Of course, last week was the holiday. 2,000 more than the same week one year ago. Hog slaughter projected through Saturday, 2,450,000. And that's 70,000 more than the same week one year ago. Dewey Nelson reporting. It's that time of year for anyone seeking training on commercial, non-commercial, and private pesticide applicators to get certified. With the Rural Radio Network, I'm Chabella Guzman. The Nebraska Extension hosted crop production clinics across the state this week, and Clyde Ogg, Nebraska Extension pesticide safety and educator in Lincoln, talks about dicamba and how it sprang into the headlines last year. Last year in particular, all over the United States, we had problems with uh, injury to plants that were not the dicamba-ready soybean plants that were designed to be used with dicamba. And so we saw damage to non-resistant soybeans, but then a number of other crops, uh, especially in states like Missouri and Arkansas, where they have a real diversity of crops, uh, we saw damage on lots of different things. Dicamba is not a new product. It has been around for about 30 years. Og says the characteristics are known. It's prone to drift and volatilization. But the surprise came with so much injury happening in such a short amount of time. Og explains the EPA's response to the problems. 
took the three formulations that were designed to be used on these dicamba-ready soybean crops and turned them into restricted-use labels. Plus, they added a whole range of pretty restrictive use uh, requirements and record-keeping requirements. So among those are things like it sets the maximum height for the boom to be uh, at. Uh, It tells you what specific nozzles can be used. Uh, You're not able to use it when the wind is under 3 miles per hour or over 10 miles per hour. You've got to clean out your spray tank before and after each use. Uh, Just a whole range of those types of restrictions are all designed to help prevent that ultimate damage from happening. So if you think about it, you can get drift as particle drift. That's more or less a misapplication. You can get volatilization that can happen after the product is applied, and you have warm temperatures, and sometimes that'll happen. You can get temperature inversions that facilitate the movement of both particle drift and the volatilization. Then the other thing that can happen is you can have a spray tank that was not properly cleaned out, and you use it on an appropriate crop and then move to a different one, and you can injure that way as well. So there's just a whole range of things that can be done to help prevent uh, injury. Among all those requirements, Og explains more about the record-keeping and how it has changed quite a bit. On the record-keeping end of things, this is a totally new Uh, approach that has not been seen before in pesticide regulation. Uh, In addition to the usual uh, nine points that the Nebraska Department of Agriculture had previously required for all pesticide applications as far as keeping records go, they've added an additional points for a total of 20. So you have to measure your temperature at the start and stop of the application. Uh, For instance, the, the wind speed and direction at the start and stop of the application. These are totally new kinds of records that have to be kept now if you choose to use those three products. Og says there are some producers, like in the Panhandle of Nebraska, who don't see as much drift from their use of dicamba. And truthfully, over the years, we really haven't seen a lot of problems in this area with drift. So not sure exactly why that is. It might be the climate. Uh, the the wheat science people are puzzling over that right now. So, We've been talking with Clyde Ogg, Nebraska Extension Pesticide Safety and Educator of Lincoln, on some of the new processes for pesticide applicators when it comes to using dicamba. With the Rural Radio Network, I'm Shabella Guzman. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network as we get a snapshot review of today's grain picture. With John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago, and publisher of the newsletter, This Week in Grain. You have a lot to put into that This Week in Grain with this report that came out. Yeah, we do. I mean, it was a lot of moving parts today, and in the end of it, it doesn't change the story much, but I think it kind of gets us through that door uh, that a lot of folks were regretting, or I guess looking forward to as a, what could be bad news. It really wasn't near as bad as I think you could you would have painted a picture. They raised the carryouts for all three row crops that we talk about, uh, just slightly though, and uh, now it's going to be really about new crop production. We've essentially closed the door on 2017 yields coming in at you know near record, I guess, and um, I think uh, you know the digestion of it all uh, after seeing prices trade for two hours makes me feel pretty good going to next week, especially in soybeans. Right, but the wheat picture didn't look all that positive given the seedings report. No, and I mean I. I gotta be honest. I mean, a lot of what I do is anecdotal, so it's you know I'm not seeing some big 
swath of, uh, you know, surveys of people who plant, but, I mean, just in the areas I work with, and these are, you know, southern Kansas, Texas, I mean, uh, even a guy I work with at FSA talked about 50,000 acres, uh, you know, coming down from 115,000 acres to 75,000 acres just over the last year in his area. I have a hard time believing that we're, we're only 100,000 less than a year ago. Really do. I, I just, you know, enough of guys I work with, I could probably name, you know, who, who account of 80,000 acres themselves who don't plant wheat this year. Um, one thing it does bring in is if they are planting wheat, or what aren't they planting now? And I think there's some guys thinking maybe corn acres could be a little lower than what the, uh, the informers of the world were talking about just a couple of weeks ago. What do we look forward to then when it comes to overnight trading Sunday night into Monday and then Monday's trade? Can we maybe correct here to the upside in wheat, given given the fact that we may be oversold? Absolutely. I mean, being down 420 has been a great spot to buy. You know, we're not delivering anytime soon. Uh, I think, you know, if this was the early part of February, I'd say, well, maybe we're going to maybe bleed down toward that $4 level. But I think given the weather and the conditions are, are t- difficult, I think is a statement at this point in Kansas, um, I think we'd have some legs here. We saw the spreads come back into the close. And the two things that are going to drive the markets in the short term are going to be weather, and currency, and both of them, I think, are tilting towards the bullish side. Currency, especially the dollar closed on is it two-year lows, maybe. I mean, we're really down here in the low 90s, uh, and then the the real has come up as well. So Brazilian currency is strengthening. We're seeing ethanol prices rally today. I think I think there's some good things you can take up going forward here. Now that we have points behind us. Thanks, John. John Payne, senior marketing analyst with Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago. Go to DanielsAgMarketing.com.